You know, I pray that we, the Lord would help us to, to live like we just worshiped. Uh, because I, I, I want to, I think we are going through a difficult season. And, um, and so I, I've wanted to share this sermon with you for quite a while, actually. And uh, I know there are many people who talk about end times. In fact, I think uh, many Christians are very uh, sort of obsessed about that, and I think sometimes it can be a little unhealthy because I think God calls us to engage in building his kingdom right now and for us to be a part of what he's doing and joining him. And I, I think sometimes there's sort of a, a lot of different ways that people approach this. I just think lost in all of it is uh, some truth that I want to establish among us here today. Uh, it, I just I tell you, it goes way back for me, way over 30 years ago. I remember being at uh, a, my pastor, Pastor Don, around him, and there some married couples around me. Uh, I was 23 years old, and and uh, there were a, a lot of different married couples there. And uh, some people were talking about what was going on. I think the, the Dow had gone down like 508 points or something like that. That was a huge amount in 1987. And there was all kinds of stuff happening around the world. And, and then somebody at the, you know, that pregnant pause that happens within a conversation, somebody went, that's scary stuff. That's kind of scary if you think about it. And Pastor Don went, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is not scary for us. But it's interesting because if we talk about end times or last days, so many of us, when we start seeing things happen around the world, that's sort of our immediate fear. It's just, that's our emotion, isn't it? It's just sort of like, oh no, what's going on in the world? And, and people almost like to drum that up. And so here's what I want to say to you in the time I have remaining here today. And I want to encourage each one of you with this. The future of this planet has never looked bleaker, but the future of God's people has never looked brighter. And I want you to keep that. And I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, and let's listen to what Jesus said. Jesus is speaking to them in a parable. And I pray that the Lord would establish within us something that we would take a hold of. I don't care if you're 12 or 75. It doesn't matter today. I pray today that God will get our attention with his word. So Jesus is speaking. And he says, he put a parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who went out and sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore again, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And then he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to, to him, the master, 
then do you want us to go out and gather them? Do you want us to get rid of the weeds? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. And here's the key. I want you to, in fact, this is what I want to talk to you about, just these first four words. Let them grow together until the harvest. So what I want to talk to you about today is let them grow together. Let them grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now you might say, I don't really understand every little part of this. Well, Jesus, just a couple of verses over, you just go over to verse 36, and you'll see that Jesus describes, he says, they said, what was the parable about? And Jesus says, well, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, in verse 37. Then he says, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And he goes on to talk about just as the weeds are gathered and, and burned in fire, that will be the way it is at the end of the age. And the Son of Man will send his angels, and there will be a reaping. And here's one of the things he says. He says that, he says to throw, the Son of Man will send his angels, and verse 41, and gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, he who has ears, let him hear. If you think that that's just Jesus giving figurative speech, turn to Revelation church, chapter 14, verse 14, where we have a very descriptive picture of our future. Then I looked and behold, a white cloud is seated on the cloud was one like the Son of Man. This goes all the way back to Daniel, man. And this is not anything. God has been doing this through his seed, through the exile, through the exodus, then up through when God had promised the promised one. With a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand, and another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. And so he sat on the cloud, swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. That's going to happen. Anybody who says, acts like they're on the planning committee for Jesus coming back scares me. I, I, I just want to tell you that. I also think that we ought to live ready. But what is it to live in the end of the age? I don't know. I think many times, I remember about that same time, there's a book called 87 Reasons Why He's Coming Back in 87. Now, most of that was based on the nation of Israel being established in 1947. But that didn't happen, so he wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 88. Here's what I want to talk to you. I think it's especially apropos for the 
prophet Daniel in chapter 12. If you want to read more about this, Daniel chapter 12, and of course, what we've read here. Here's what I want to share a few things with you, because I want you to be encouraged to know about our future. The first one is, no matter what is happening in the world, we need to listen to the right report. Let's be Caleb and Joshua's. And if you didn't listen to my sermon three weeks ago, I want you to, I normally don't advertise my own sermons. You know what I'm saying? I usually don't say a lot about that. But I want to encourage you to, to do that. Three weeks ago, I shared a sermon about how I want to be Caleb in my generation. I want us to be a people that listens to the right report. You remember when the 12 spies were sent over to the promised land and they came back and two gave a good report and 10 gave a negative report. And remember in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. I want to be like Caleb in this generation. I want to be a person who says, listen to the right report. We can do it. We will still believe. And if, even if I'm shouting by myself and nobody else believes, I want to go it alone. I want to be one of the few that says we can do it. We need to listen to the right report. Whenever you're hearing all this stuff around you, people talking about what's going on in the world, we have to listen to the right report. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 Paul is encouraging us. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You can't listen to the right report by listening to MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, talk radio. That's not the report. This good report, whatever is commendable, whatever is good and pleasing, you can't be strong in Jesus by thinking about bad news. You can't. That's why some of us struggle because we got our minds in a couple of places. Here's the second thing. This for sure, when Jesus tells this, and based on Revelation and based on our future of what's going to happen, expect the harvest Expect it. Wickedness and righteousness will both increase. They would ripen side by side. And in fact, there are many who say the last generation will be the most wicked generation. Well, you know what I say? If that's true, then the most right, then this is going to be the most, at the end of the age, it's going to be the most righteous in history. And that's God's call on your life. It's for you to grow in righteousness. Expect the harvest and expect you to be a part of that. That call is on you. Get ripe. Get ripe. Because the harvest is coming. And God is calling us to be fulfilling our lives in his kingdom, not ours. Churches are dying, but God is doing something. We're full, this whole room is full of a but God story. 
There's all kinds of things happening in the world, but God. You could have ended up in jail when you were, when you were younger, but God saved you. You could have just gone down the old any path, but God did a great work in your life. And I want to encourage you today. I see even as I read ministry, material, leadership.com, all those kinds of things. Millennials are leaving the church, but God is doing a work in our church. And he pulled the guy that was probably the least likely maybe when he was growing up, but he's got about 30, 40, 50, sometimes 80, 90 millennials following him. But God is doing a great work. Generations aren't getting together in church, but you know God's doing that here. We don't, we're, not, we're not feuding with each other. Our teenagers love our older saints. I think our saints, our senior saints, get a kind of a kick out of our younger generation. But God. Here's the third thing. I'm not going to categorize them or weigh them, but man, here's the third one. Don't be deceived. Jesus and the disciples warned in the last days there this deceit and deception would abound and so i would encourage us today to not be deceived to not be deceived to hold true matthew 24 verse 3 as he sat on the mount of olives the disciples came to jesus privately and he said to them tell us when will all these things happen when will all these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and at the end of the age? Jesus' words in the response, look at that first statement, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you've got to read those words and say, that's not going to be me. I am not going to be deceived. I am going to continue to trust in Jesus. I'm going to continue to follow him. I am not going to be led astray from Jesus. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention. But I read this two weeks ago when we talked about the church. How we, the, the church is built on Jesus, it was built and it was bought by his blood. But listen to the whole passage. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. I love that. It's like, hey, this is almost like personalized to Johnny Mac. You know what I'm saying? Hey, Johnny, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you the overseer to take care of the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, which was what we celebrated. All right, listen, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in, um, in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. I mean, not only is deception coming, other people are going to come and call themselves the Christ. But also from your own number, people will distort the truth. 
Look at 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. So we must be alert in the word and in what we stand strong in and what we believe. Can I read you a quote? I'll tell you who said it after I read it. Here's the quote. My feelings as a Christian point me to my Lord and Savior as a fighter. In boundless love as a Christian and as a man, I read through the passages which tells how the Lord at last rose in his might and seized the scourged to drive out the temple, the brood of vipers and adders. As a Christian, I have allowed myself to be cheated. I have a duty to stand for truth and justice, for as a Christian, I have a duty to my own people. You know who said that? Adolf Hitler said that 11 years before he came to power. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. The kingdom of God is who we are sold out to. Here's another thing that's important. In every aspect of our life, we've got to welcome the king. We've got to embrace what our picture, the, the picture of our future holds. And Paul said to encourage each other with these words. And so part of this is to encourage us of what our future holds. And we've got to welcome the king. He is the king. He's in control. He's the one that we're looking towards. You remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, it's what we were celebrating in communion, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then, though, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're supposed to be encouraging each other that we are going to meet the Lord in the air so that we will always be with the Lord. There's a great song. Brown Bannister did it a long time ago. It's called, We Will Always Be With The Lord. There is a perspective in that where we're constantly talking about Jesus is the king and he is the one. And we've got to always keep our minds focused that no matter what happens in this world, we are going to be with him. We will always be with the Lord. It doesn't matter what happens. Here's the fifth thing I want to encourage you with, and that is read the book. The antidote to deception is knowing the book. That's the antidote to deception. If you want to keep away from being deceived, know the book. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Seminaries and Christian television are some of the worst places in the world you can learn about God. 
there's a lot of picking and choosing. And when I'm talking to you about learning and getting into the word and read the book for yourself, I want you to read this for yourself. I want you to read this for yourself. Listen to me. And not just be proud of how much more I know than other Christians know. That's not going to get you anywhere. That's vain conceit. That's hollow. That doesn't produce fruit. What I want to encourage you to in this is I, I want you not to be picking and choosing. You see, I, I want to encourage you to read it and then do it. And what I, I'm saying is I want you to read it. You know what Holly said there earlier? That was good. I didn't even talk to her about this. I have not talked to her about this sermon per se. We have not talked about that. But what she said there as we started our service, in case some of you met, she said, hey, find a promise of God, and then I want you to put that into practice in your life. That's good. That's good. You see, in my 20s, I had to come to a point that I was going to risk the rest of my life to believe in this, literally the last 30 years, I had to come to a place when I was in my 20s to say, I'm going to risk it all for this. All of it. My whole adult life, everything I have, I am cashing it all in to this. Have I practiced what I know? You know what? I'm like most Christians. We're way overeducated. Now, I want to temper that with there's many of us need to grow in the knowledge of the scripture and I never would say not to know more but the truth is we need to practice what we know and what I want to say to you and I don't want to do this because I don't want to do anything that would cause it but I, I want you to read it and then I want you to I would I want you to put your weight on it I want you to to literally read this and then I want you to put your weight down on it like put your faith and your life and to literally put the weight of your life dependent on what the bible says if, for example if the bible says to give generously to be a giver then be generous be generous like god is generous if if, if god is calling you to love other people and you're saying uh, that's not me i would encourage you to do that put your weight just that God, I want to claim this over my life. So here's how you do this. This is the next one. To, don't forget what we just talked about, all right? We're just talking about reading the book. Here's the thing. Pray the book. Pray the word. Pray it. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, he said, when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, when you pray. And I want to encourage you to read that this is what the song was about, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is though, uh, that though through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God, you see, let me tell you something, what Holly was talking about, real quick, real quick. What Holly was talking about is when God's promising, God's promises intersect with God's timing, there is a suddenly. 
You can see this all through Scripture. Of course, we especially know this of Scripture. When God's promises, he promised, promised that he would send a Savior. This is Galatians 4.4, 4, by the way. And his, his promises intersected with God's timing. There was suddenly a, a host of this angel, this army of angels singing glory to God. Suddenly! And in your life, that can be true too. But you need to pray the word. Here's a good one to pray. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn from among many brothers. Now, some of you are just parsing that and going, okay, well, does that mean that I am predestined and that I don't have, and you're sitting around debating theological issues. You gotta start looking at this like this is your, this is what you need to build your life on. What I see here, look at this. It says that for those he foreknew, you, that you were grafted in, that's what happened in Jesus, that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That is your destiny. That you are, and you've got to start praying that over yourself. Some of you here are going, what? I am saying that is what you have to start praying over your life. And say, God, I want to be that. I want to claim that in my life. I pray against every evil thing that you've been taught in your life that's holding you back from wanting to be conformed to Jesus because it's not getting us anywhere except destruction and brokenness and death. And I would encourage you when you read that, say, yes, Lord, that is for me. I want that. I want that. That's what's going to happen at the end. At the end of the age, when you come, I don't want to be not ready. I want to be ready. I want to be conformed. Here's another one, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we, we, who's the we? Believers, we, us, we. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Or am I talking you into this? I, I want to be a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a great teacher. I don't know that much. I'm not that smart. But I want to preach. I want to persuade you that God has a call on this generation for us to be peculiar and different and not the same old, same old. Not the same old, same old stuff that I want us to get the word in us. Can we read that together? And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. I don't know if you believe that, but I want you to. I want you to pray the word. I want you to want that. I want that hunger and thirst to be there. I want us to have that as our prayer, that we, with these, eh, sometimes we don't, 
We don't really know. We're looking through a, a, a glass, as Paul said. But man, we don't know everything. But we are all reflecting the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness. I pray that you will grab a hold of that, that you will start seeing the word of God as central and you'll start putting that in, praying that into your life. And here's the other thing. Here's another thing. Call on Jesus. Yes, he is the Lord. Yes, he is God. Yes, in Christ's name we pray, yes. But he also has a name. His name is Jesus. Call on his name. Call on Jesus. There was a man in Hungary as communism was spreading across Eastern Europe. So what they did was they would bring like thousands of pastors together. At one occasion they brought about 4,000 pastors together to talk to them about, uh, indoctrinate them on how they should conduct themselves and the problems with Christianity and how they needed to adjust. And so they did one of these sessions where they talked about to pastors about what they ought to be doing. And there's a lady named Sabina, Sabina uh, Wormbrand. And she was sitting beside her husband and she said, Richard, get up. Get up, Richard. Wipe the shame off of Jesus' face. They're spitting in Jesus' face, Richard. Get up. And he leaned over to her and said, Sabina, do you realize that if I get up, you won't have a husband? And she said, Richard, I will not have a coward for a husband. Get up. He stood up. Richard Wormbrand spent 14 years in prison. Mr. Wormbrand, pastor, he... Uh, he was beaten so severely and tormented so long, his legs, his feet, he had to have special shoes because they beat him so much in his feet. He couldn't even wear normal shoes. He was beaten repeatedly for those 14 years. He spoke to Congress many years later. He's the only person that's ever taken his shirt off in front of Congress to show them what those beatings did. He also started Voice of the Martyrs, if you've ever heard of that. Here's what I'm saying to you. Some of you are sitting here today and you're saying, man, I don't think I could ever do that. 14 years in prison, getting beat like that. I pray against that doubt you have. I want you to say the Holy Spirit is inside of me. The Holy Spirit is inside of me and Jesus is with me I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do it. I could do that. I, I want to pray. I want to do that. I want to have strength in the Lord. I want to be a person who is grounded. And I want you, I'm encouraging here you today to tell you that when the Holy Spirit comes, he is on the inside of you and you can do it. 
You can live for Jesus. You can parent for Jesus. You can love Jesus and you can work in the marketplace. And if something happens and something comes your way and persecution or trial or even prison, I want you to know the Holy Spirit's inside of you. You can do it. Here's another reminder as we close. We're supposed to raise up the generations. We're supposed to be a people. God never meant for old people to go alone or young people to go into battle alone. God never wanted that. God is waking me up to this. I don't wanna live like the average 55-year-old. I want desperately, and he is waking me up. I want to live like a man of God who happens to be 55. I wanna encourage you who are 15, and 18, I don't want you to live like the average 18-year-old. I want you to live like a man of God who happens to be 18. I want you, for us, to be a part of the generations who lives for God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. We wanna pass the baton, we wanna pass the blessing. We wanna see a younger generation. We're not gonna sit around and boo-hoo about how they act, how they're on their phones. I don't have time for all that. I'm pushing on. I know that there's right and wrong and I know there's best practices and I'm gonna talk about wisdom and all that, but I'm not gonna sit around and hold the blessing because they don't act right. I wanna be a part of that. You know, when I was 16 years old, I'd gotten saved in the spring at my church. I felt like I was maybe called to ministry. And so my church asked me on Youth Sunday to come and preach. Now, they didn't give me the Sunday morning. They only gave me Sunday night, all right? So there wasn't many people there. Coach Ward at the football practice before <laughs> on Friday, I think it was Saturday morning after the game on Friday night, Coach Ward told the whole football team, hey, Johnny's going to be preaching over at the church on Sunday night if you want to come and listen. And uh, I remember preparing. And so at First Baptist Church Canova, we had 20 minutes, all right? 20 minutes on the clock, and which I've already broken, by the way. And uh, so I had it. I had it on a notebook that wasn't even full size, and it was onion skin. I've got it back in the back if you want to see it. And they gave me 20 minutes. And I was, I was really excited. I, got, I came over and I had my uniform on, my basketball away uniform and my uh, Sunday church uniform, which was, y'all yeah, probably check this a little bit. And you know, the, you know, like this is 1980, okay? Boat shoes, yeah, check. I had boat shoes on, I had khakis, navy blue, I mean a baby blue button down, navy jacket. And I, well, I thought, I'm doing pretty good. Well, the, I showed up and Reverend Wentworth said, hey, you don't have a tie on. You got to go back home and get that tie on. So I had to go back, what I get? I got that burgundy, got that burgundy knit tie with the flat bottom, tied my tie, got back over there, and I got up to preach. I was real ready. I was 16 years old, man. I squeezed everything I could out of that sermon, and I was up there for nine minutes. <laughs> Preacher had to get up and kind of extend it a little bit, and I'm so thankful that people have been gracious with me. People have 
didn't throw me out when I was young and I did something wrong. I made a lot of mistakes in my life. I want us to be a people that raise up generations. That we're a people that do that. Do that. Here's another thing I think is important as the days are hard. Live in community. Ecclesia, when you see it in the Bible, is better translated as community, but usually translated as church. But I just want you to know, I want us to be a community. Listen, and this is not about like, listen, this is not about going to church and sitting down with each other side by side and saying, I come here because we kind of agree with each other, and that's why we come here. That's, look, listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. We're supposed to do this. We're supposed to be peculiar. We're not supposed to just be like, oh, we come and we sit down next to each other because we kind of agree with each other. And if I don't like what's going on here, I'll go someplace else and then I'll just sit there and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of take in and it'll help me. No, we're supposed to be, we're a community, not just an organization. And so we're supposed to be devoted. So live in community. We are to love each other with a love that only God can produce and which serves to draw others into the kingdom. Here's the last one. Finish well. Finish well. What a tragedy to see godly men and women turn away from the Lord in their closing years. And I want to encourage you how encouraged I am to see so many people who are not doing that. I look around and I see people who are trusting God and praying and maybe you don't do what you used to do, but you're still trusting God and you're still wanting to finish this race well. Every person in this room, listen, every person in this room has temptations. Every person in this room, no matter what your age is, you're tempted. Is that a revelation to you? Is that a new revelation to you that all of us are tempted? We're all tempted. We all have temptation. There's lust and greed and pride, and it's near all of us. Be on guard. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So the Holy Spirit may have spoken to you today in some areas of your life that you need to tend to today. I want us to pray. And maybe it is that you're here and the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and there's some areas that you really do need to kind of like, you need to tend to that right now. I want us to do that right now. If the Holy Spirit has kind of jostled you and you'd like to just even by faith, just say, I, I, have, I, want to, I want to claim, no matter what the day or the hour, I want desperately for God to do a work in me. And it just might be something that God has reminded you of here today. If, if he has moved in your life and there's something that you want to pray about, I'm going to ask you to just go ahead and just stand up right where you are. Right here. If you want, there's some things that you've either been dealing with as I spoke about this fear or other situations in your life that you want prayer for. 
I want to encourage you to stand. If the Holy Spirit is, is just convicting you of some things, now I want some other people to pray for these folks. So just if you need to move around and pray for these folks. And, and, and just by faith for us, I want us to trust the Lord more here in this hour. Father, I thank you for every person here. Thank you, Lord, for how you've preserved us and you've provided for us in every way through your word and through your spirit. And today, Lord, I lift these folks up to you who stand, who are standing. Lord, I pray the power of the Holy Spirit be within them to guide them and that they would be filled so that they would be controlled by the Holy Spirit and that they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to adjust their, themselves to you. I pray, Father, that you would speak to each person and that you would continue to clean the stuff out of our lives that are keeping us from you. And I pray, Father, that you would help us in every way. Father, for so many folks here, it may be a real battle. And so, Lord, I am praying for them not to give up. And I pray, Lord, that you would help each person who by faith has stood. Encourage their heart, Lord. Encourage them to not give up. Help them, Lord, in the area that they're dealing with. I pray, Lord, that you would help all of us to keep our eyes and our minds on Jesus. Help us, Lord, as we go from this place to live anticipating the fullness of your kingdom coming to bear in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be hopeful, not hopeless. Lord, help us to trust you more not just to doubt and fear. Help us, Lord, because we desperately need it. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much.